0: Him. Samaritan. Samaritan died 25 years ago. That's what they say. You think you live across from a superhero? Do you have a therapist, kid? Well, welcome back, everybody, to Take Me to Your Reader, discussing adapted science fiction at its best and worst. I'm Seth. I'm James. And I'm Colin. And this time we're bringing something a little bit different because we had the opportunity to talk to an actual creator, someone who has done adaptations and screenplays, um, and that is Broggy Shoot. So, hi there.
1: Hi. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, thanks for joining us. Um, I just want to make sure to let you talk about yourself and uh, kind of introduce yourself to, to our audience.
1: All right. Well, uh, I'm a I'm a screenwriter and producer, and uh, I, I do mostly uh, I should say I used to do mostly film. Now I do a lot of TV stuff. I'm a comic collector and geek from from you know way back. Uh, I I remember starting out reading a lot of sci-fi, fantasy, and if and, you know, if we get into that, great. I love to, I can talk hours about that stuff. But nice. trend, fantasy, science fiction, comic books, uh, and yeah, just uh, you know a little bit of everything. Whatever I can get my hands into.
0: Awesome, and. So this time we're going to be talking about Samaritan, which is the new movie. It's on uh, prime video. And that is, I, I want to talk about the, the adaptation history of this. And I want to make sure the other guys get to ask stuff as well. So you want to jump in Colin or sorry, I'm stealing your questions. No, actually you <laughs> wrote down the questions, but we have been talked about this for a while. So it's totally cool. So, um, I, I've mentioned
2: that it's, it's an unusual adaptation history. Broggy, can you kind of tell us about the, the whole history of Samaritan in a, in a quick overview?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'll try to keep it short. Uh, I uh, wrote it originally as a spec script. Uh, I was an expectant dad at the time, and I was a little nervous about being a dad. I wasn't sure I was dad material, and uh, <laughs> and I remember thinking about, thinking uh, about, you know, taking stock of my character flaws and trying to think like, okay, I got to clean up my act. I got to, you know, get my get my shit together. I got to, you know, I got to be a good dad here. And I remember thinking that was kind of an interesting uh, character dynamic. And so I started to think about, well, if this was a writing assignment, what what kind of a character would I channel this angst into? And uh, I started to think about a character who had, who had done something really bad in his past. And through uh, a case of sort of mistaken identity with a young kid, he, the kid thinks he's someone completely different. He thinks he's the hero. And uh, this character really likes the way the kid looks at him. And he likes seeing that, that in his eye he's proud, but he's also tormented because he knows that it's not really who he is. And so I remember thinking, like, okay, this is really fun, how do I how do I tap into this? And so I wrote this script uh, that became the basis for Samaritan. And uh, I had been wanting to direct for years, and so I, I tried to kind of get it going myself. And there were a couple producers who really loved the script who went to bat for me. And there was there was a minute there where you know so and so was going to finance it, and another minute where so and so was considering it, and it just kept falling apart. And so I, I got more and more frustrated. And I said, you know what, being a screenwriter is is, is, a, is a fun, wonderful career, but it's also a frustrating career because you can. You can work for years and not have much to show for it. You can be very well paid and not have much to show for it. And so I kind of got frustrated, and I was like, "That's it. I'm doing something with this." And I and I and I lurked on some art forums, and I found an artist whose stuff I really liked. And I said, "Hey, have you ever done comics? Would you Consider doing a comic." And he said, "Yeah, sure. This is my rate." And I said, "All right, I can I can afford that." And I said, I, "And he goes, Do you have Do you have script ready?'" And I said, "Yeah, I do, but it's written in film format. Can, would you take a look and maybe tell me if you think it could be adapted to a comic?" And so I sent him the script, and he responded right away. And, I said, hey, I love this. This is a total comic. This is like five or six issue one. You know, let's do this. And I was like, okay, great. Uh, do you need me to change the format, or can you kind of, you know, can we can we do some thumbnails and figure it out together? And he said, no, I can go right off this. I get it. I get it. So he went off and did a bunch of thumbnails, sent it to me, and uh, it was really fun seeing it come alive. It was really exciting seeing the, you know. I'm like, yes, this is great. No, I, I pictured him looking more this way or no, the building needs to be more run down. But basically he got it. He nailed it. He knew the world. He got it and, you know, instinctively. And the first issue was just wonderful. And then he started the second issue. And at that point, I was like, okay, comics are more expensive than I thought. i got I to hold off a little <laughs> bit. The assignments and then we'll up. this up. And then, yeah, I mean, at the same time, unbeknownst to me, the script was still kicking around Hollywood. And, and it got to Stallone. And so that sort of changed things.
2: Wow. Oh, interesting.
0: That is a cool story. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. <laughs> so the... Congratulations. Yeah, we so many places to go with it. That's fun. Yeah. Um. <laughs> oh, by the way, just just for our listeners, in case, you know, they're, they're not familiar with some of the terminology, what is a spec script? This is one that you're not contracted to write?
1: It, it comes from the word speculative. It means that... You don't know no, – nobody's asking for it. Nobody wants it. Nobody's offered to buy it. You're, you're purely writing it on, on the speculative hope that somebody will buy the script. Mm. And uh, you know, in old days, that, that was a big part of the industry. Everybody wrote spec scripts. And I remember my, when I first came to Hollywood, my agents had you – know, they were working out of a little bungalow on the sunset. And they would have – at the end of every, every Friday, they would have big you know, manila envelopes addressed to you know, Universal, Fox. and and runners would come and they would grab these and those were the hot specs of the week and they would take them and read them you'd be holding your breath all weekend to see if somebody bought your script. Now the industry's changed a lot. Spec spec scripts really don't get made much anymore. I've actually been sort of of strangely lucky that I've gotten a number of specs made but mostly it's now adaptations of IP. So comics, you know, novels, short stories, video games, books, uh, you know, even even like toys, you know, are, are the basis of IP now. So it's, it's, you know, specs still happen and, and I love writing them because those are the ones that really originate with me versus taking somebody else's story and, and, and trying to adapt it. And I, I don't really feel like I ever own those fully. Like I'm, I'm trying to do a good job of their story and adapt their story. So specs are, are a lot of fun, but they're a little scary because you have no idea what's going to happen with it. And the only reason I would urge anyone to write a spec is if you just got an idea that's burning a hole in your head and you just need to get it out on the page. And, you know, and they serve as writing samples. Um, and
2: occasionally we get bought as a spec. Cool. Yeah, so um, in our in our podcast, I'm known as you know, Mr. Canonicity. <laughs> so we, we normally in our podcast we read a book or a source material and then we watch a movie and we talk about you know what the story is that's common between them and then say, Well, it's one is different from the other this way and we like this better than that and why. And sometimes when an adaptation fails, we'll say, you know, what would we do to make it work really well? So I'm I'm wondering having looked at you have your original spec script and there are the, the comics and then there is the movie and did it stay absolutely 100% canonical between those three or was there quite a bit of, of move and take and give between them?
1: There's definitely a lot of give, you know, and some of those, you know, some of those changes to be, you know, totally candid. Some of those changes were ones that I resisted that I fought against, you know, that I didn't quite get others, you know, the others were sort of expected and there were one or two that I was glad of that. I was like, yeah, okay. That like, yeah, that's better. Shame on me. I should have thought of that kind of thing. <laughs> but it, it, it was definitely like, i will give you an example in the comic, uh, Sam's mom is an erotic dancer. She works out of this nightclub and she's this you know, dancing, right. and she has to do some pretty unsavory things to pay the bills, but she's got a heart of gold. And I, and I wrote it and I, and I thought, Oh, this is great. This is so fresh. This is new, you know? And then, uh, you know, sitting around a table with Stallone and getting notes, you know, it's, it's, you know, no, we got to change her. You know, she's basically the, you know, prostitute with a heart of gold. We've all seen that a million times. I'm like, oh, (laughs) so, you know, that changed and it became more interesting. She became, you know, you know, a nurse and, uh, and it fed into the story Mm -hmm. in in some interesting ways. I think there's a scene that didn't even make it in there that was, that, that hinged more on the nurse aspect, but there was a lot of things that, 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 that afforded us opportunities in the story. That that afforded us. So that was an interesting change. And Then there are others that, that you know I didn't get and I resisted. And you know you, you can resist as a screenwriter, but at the end of the day, the director and certainly Stallone was you know a huge legend in the business, and you know he's Stallone, so he's going to get what he wants, and he's going <laughs> to yeah. He <laughs> can do it. Or get out of the way. I I resisted, and then I was you know at, at a certain point, you politely asked to get out of the way and they bring in other writers, and there's you know rewrites happening, you know that I had no part of. So at the end of the day, mm-hmm. is, it the same? Is, it connect- is it canonical? I guess it's very much still, at a thousand foot level, it's very much still the exact same story. That's why I got sole credit, because you know, it went to arbitration, other writers were in the mix, and at the end of the day, the arbiters, they, they thought, well, yeah, you've changed a lot of little stuff, but it's basically still a story about somebody who did something bad, who befriends a kid, and because of his friendship with the kid, you know, there, there's a change that happens in him, and he becomes a better person, he becomes the hero that the kid always thought, and, and you know, that, that's basically still the, the same big pillars. There's a lot of ways that you can, that you can you know depict that story, and the details can change a lot, and you can still have that same basic foundation. So, you know, if you ask me, is it still basically the same? I would say yes and no. I mean, I, I don't want that to sound like a cop out answer, but yeah, on a macro level, it's still basically the same. But like, you know, Avatar and uh Winnetou and Shatterhand are the same on a macro level. You know, I, I mean. Uh, <laughs> Good point. It's a hard question to answer because as you zoom in, you realize, oh, wait, there's not a lot of lines here that didn't change. You know, there's not, I mean, the scene, the action is sort of the same, but it got all, you know, a lot more explodey and crazy. And, and you know, there's still a twist in both, but they've, they've made the twist even bigger here by having him be the brother and, you know, stuff like that.
0: Um, did you have follow-up or... I do, haha. Okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> Take it. Just, just jump in. Don't let me, yeah. you know, drive so the whole. So go
1: into the.
2: Uh, so you, may, you gave an example of a change that you liked with the the nurse or the the kid's mom. What do you have an example of a change that you kind of push back against, but they just
0: railroaded you anyway? <laughs> At the risk of bad mouthing the movie, right? Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know, a, no, I, I, I want to start with this. Was saying that first of all. I'm grateful to have a produced movie, and it was it was a real treat to you know meet Stallone and to have him star in a movie. Like, I mean, come on, it's crazy, but
2: well, yeah, 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 for sure, right?
1: <laughs> I'll be honest and say, yeah, there were there were notes that I that I didn't get and didn't like, and I'll give you one for instance. But the 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 idea that Samaritan and Nemesis are brothers was was not in the original script. They were never brothers. They weren't intended to be brothers. The twist was merely that the kid thought that that. That Joe was Samaritan, and, and the mm-hmm. truth is that he was nemesis, and that he was so ashamed of that, of what he had done, that that accounts for the fact that he's been hiding for 20 years. That accounts for his his sort of solitary existence. And when this kid penetrates that that those walls, and and when Sam's when 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 uh, when Joe Smith starts to care for him, he then decides to be the hero that the kid always thought he was. And so that to me was the twist, and I thought that was nice and beautiful, and I liked it. And then the idea that he's also nemesis to me felt a little like a hat on a hat. I didn't, I didn't get it. Didn't, didn't like it. Stallone felt very strongly about it, and I think the producers in the studio liked the idea. I mean, who knows whether they like they trusted Stallone's instincts or what. Regardless, they 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 all liked the idea, and Stallone particularly was very excited about the sort of Cain and Abel kind of dynamic in the background. Mm-hmm.
2: Um,
1: and so that became a big part of the story. I will say that um, I don't think it's a bad idea. I just didn't think that I could execute it well. I didn't think that I could bring that to the script in a way that I was happy with. Like sort of like a lot of times I'll get a note and if I get how to do it and I, and I, and I'm like, Oh, Oh, I can totally write this. Then I get excited and I, and I start to do it. If I get a note and I'm like, what, how, how's this going to work? Why? You know, then I know, okay, maybe somebody else, somebody smarter than me or more creative than me could do that note. And and, and then I'd love it when I see it. I love it. But like, I didn't, I didn't see the way into that. And so I, at that point when, uh, I had turned in my draft and done my notes, I had to be honest with them. and said, guys, I couldn't write this, 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 this one note. I just couldn't crack. I'm sorry. I don't think it's needed, but you know, see what you think. And at that point they, they, you know, brought other writers in and and that note still got done. It got addressed. Uh, and I'll leave it for you to decide, you know, how well it was executed. But I know it was not one that I could have done at least not well. I've done notes where I didn't get them. And, uh, I wrote a lot of notes on Season of the Witch that I didn't get that I really needed <laughs> that I had to do because literally, the, you know, the, the, it was put to me as if you don't do it, they're going to get somebody else who will. And then you're, you're facing a scenario where you maybe don't get sole credit or you have to share. And there's a financial component to that too. And so as a dad of three kids, I have to be very careful when I let my pride get in the way. And, um, you know, so every time, you know, if you – I always tell people if you can't stomach notes and you can't handle your story changing – don't be a screenwriter because that's going to happen. Like be a novelist, be something else, be a comic book author. You know, you can, you know, even then I'm sure there's, there's other cooks in the kitchen and other voices, be they editors or artists who have their own ideas. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of that. Uh, But I don't think to the extent of, in the film scenario, we're really, especially in film, the directors and the stars kind of run the show. And um, you're there. So it's a little painful sometimes when you bring an original story and you got to bring your best Script forward, do the best job you can with the notes. And then if there are notes that you can't crack or just don't understand, then, then it's just time to get out of the way and let them you know, what they're
2: going to do. Yeah, gotcha. Wow. In my day job, I work for a print-on-demand board game company. And my boss is a game designer on top of that. And when he's telling me about the game board game industry, he says much the same thing, where you, you come up with this idea for a game and you make a prototype and you cannot hold on to any part of that prototype. You can't have a sacred cow because then you go out and you play test it and all your play testers may say that your favorite thing totally did not work for them. And then you have to decide, um, you know, do I listen to all these people that I've independently tested and, ha- and go with this or do I go with my gut? And the answer always has to be you have to go with what your, your play testers say.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I respect yeah. that and I, and, I, and I totally get that. And I think, yeah, well, numbers, they don't lie. You know, if everybody hates something that you put in there. Yeah, then you got to go with it. But I also see the flip side of that, too, which is that there's a famous – I think it's David Ostalsnik who said, like, write – or, or, or create, create the movies that you want to create. Create the movies that you love and hope that other people love them, too. Because you're never going to do good work trying to, like – you know, if somebody brought me a list of, of of traits that would make a really successful action film and they gave me a sheet and it was like, it's got to be female protagonist. She's got to be hot. She's got to have a sword. She's got to kill X number of people. She's, it's got to be either revenge or whatever – you know, and, and it's got to have this and this and this, I would not be able to write that script very well. It would feel like I was just, it would feel like something written by committee. So mm. yeah, right. it's, yeah, I don't mean to be contrarian, but I know like for me, the, the scripts that have sold, have always come from a real genuine place of something that gets me emotionally. And then the reward is when other people read the script, they experience that emotion too. And then they want to buy the script. So for example, like Samaritan, which had a very different ending, you know, I, I I would get you know. You know, the, I always joke it's it's, it's <laughs> kind of true. You know, the scene at the end of uh, Romance in Stone, at the, in the beginning of Romance in Stone, where, where Kathleen Turner is writing the thing and she gets all choked up and she's like in tears and she can't find any Kleenex anywhere and she's walking around turn, and every box is empty. Like when I write a script, if I finish it, I feel really good about it. I get that feeling, and I. Reread the you know scenes, and I'll be really excited to show it to people. I'll be if I write a script and I and I didn't quite nail it, and I feel iffy about it, and I don't want to, and I'm like, I can't give this to anyone yet; it's not ready or something. The reactions <laughs> always line up. You know, the ones that I had the most fun writing, that I'm most excited about, that I get emotional about, are the ones invariably the scripts that sell. And then the ones that I was reaching for something, but I you know I lost the thread or I or I, I didn't quite nail it for whatever reason. You know, those those are the ones that. Maybe they get an option, they kick around town for a while, you know, I get some meetings, but they don't sell. So it's an interesting mix. It's tough.
0: One reason that we haven't really done much in the way of graphic novel adaptations, and, and this was, it's kind of my perspective on this as, as <laughs> I'm not the decider, but I, I'm always kind of like, yeah, do we really want to do something that's adapting visual to visual? Um, because then you have the question of how, how close do you want to hue to the way it was interpreted for the comic book? And then in the movie, so you think of like a movie like Watchmen. Mm-hmm. There are whole frames of that 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 are basically like a two-page, uh, you know, two pages straight out of the comic book. They reproduce that on the screen, right. shot by shot, shot by shot. Yeah, yeah. L- looks beautiful. Your mileage may vary if that's what you want to see in your comic book adaptations. A lot of people might like that. You know, I'm a, I'm the other guy. I'm 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 the guy who's like, yeah, no, make some changes, makes make it. Uh, you know, if you find something more interesting, do that. And you know, I'm I'm fine with that. I'm not I'm not super stuck to the source. But in this case, here we have a small amount of, I mean, we've got the fact that it started as the screenplay and then is adapted into the comic book and the movie sort of, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, sort of simultaneously on this. If we get to see more comics, is there going to be any influence that's driven back from the movie into the comics? Uh, that's what I was wondering, too, <laughs> for future issues.
1: That's a great question. It's funny that you asked that because we're in the process right now. So Samaritan apparently, and, I'm not, and I can't speak to this, I haven't seen, Amazon is very guarded with their data, you know, their metrics. I don't know how they determine this. Or, I mean, they have the numbers. I don't. But we had a call with them. The producers had a call with them, and they, they said they were very, very happy with how Samaritan's doing, especially internationally. Apparently Stallone's fan base internationally is stronger than they expected, and the movie's done very well, and it's like their number one, wow. whatever, all this stuff. So they, they, they reached out and said, we understand you guys have a couple of issues of a comic, and that you know we want to see if you would be open to continuing that. And I was like, yes, we asked. We tried to keep the comic book rights. We fought for that, but we couldn't get that. So we had to make this deal where the rights were sort of frozen. MGM can't do it alone. I can't do it alone. And we both have to agree before anything can happen in the comics. So we're having that conversation now. I have no idea how it's going to go. MGM reached out to us, so presumably they're going to try to figure this out. Um, but sometimes, you know, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing, and one person likes the idea, and then the, the, the business affairs people say, no, 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 we're not going to do that. Who knows? But I know the fun thing is that if they if we do figure this out, the plan my preference would be to continue the comics as we were doing them because they don't I don't think they, they can't make it look like Stallone in the comics that's most you know celebrities don't allow their likeness to be used in you know in adaptations without a separate deal happening so in general um, I'm assuming they don't have the rights to Stallone's likeness, so they they want to continue. The idea is to continue the comics that we began, and then, you know, add in uh, all the scenes that didn't get in into the movie, and 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 possibly even continue the story on after that. Sort of, you know, set up some kind of cliffhanger or something for the next. Thing. I don't even know. It's too early to really say what, you know, if that deal will even happen, and if it does happen, how much, you know, leeway we will have. But my preference would be, and purely speaking from me, would be to continue it with the same artist, same same. Uh, Colorist, the the same, the exact story that the original. So that audiences, I don't think anyone wants to even read an exact copy of the movie. And fun, I would rather read something five times as long that has all these extra scenes, and that you get a little more insight into the story. And that, and that you you know when you have those 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 discussions in the comic book shop, you can say, oh man, there were all these scenes that didn't even make it into you know if you read the Raiders of the Lost Ark comic, you're going to see this scene and that scene, and you're going to see. You know, all this stuff. And, and then people will be like, oh, really? And they'll go and get the comic and read it. And it's like little, it's it's treats for, for people. I find yeah. that stuff. I mean,
0: that's that, that's kind of the experience of the person going to an adaptation of a book, right? And it's like, oh, there's so much more in the book. And so, <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah. Yeah, where's the pterodactyl cage? Come on, man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> my son, my son uh, Finn, is reading uh, Fellowship of the Ring right now. He watched the movie and loved it. And he's reading the book now. And he, he's surprised, with a three-hour movie, he was surprised, to, you know, he came running out of his room and he goes, Daddy, Daddy, there's stuff in here that's not even in the movie. And I'm like, yeah. He's <laughs> <laughs> well, like, the Council of Elrond is like two chapters or whatever he said." you know. I mean, he's like talking about all this stuff. <laughs> and to me, that's great because he's going to read that book now because there's more there. He's, he's not just, he's not limited to just the stuff on the screen. So, yeah, I don't see the point in, in just completely copying the film scenes that I'd love to even add in that scenes that I, I have a with every script that I write I have a little folder that are, that's like outtakes you know things that you, you're trying to keep 112 pages or 118 pages or whatever you know and and you cut there's scenes that I wrote that I couldn't even put in the script that I was like oh this is a really fun scene but at the end of the day it's probably not crucial I can cut this and that probably means I should cut it. so alright here goes that scene and so I put it in the outtakes folder like those are things that in a comic why not drop it back in you know, you have that extra scene. It's just fun.
2: Yeah. you know, With with streaming, it's such a different... It's a different overall experience in, in classic times, because I'm 50. Um, you would go to the movie theater, watch a movie, there would be a release of it later, and then you go forward a decade, and there's a release of it later on a DVD with all these extras on it. And now that we're streaming, it's almost like we've lost all those extras, because you talked about there were scenes from the movie that didn't make the cut.
1: Yeah. I used to collect... Um, Tapes of director's cuts and 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 sort of bootleg cuts that had gotten out. So I remember there being a very long cut of Waterworld that had all this extra footage, and I had that. And there was a Apocalypse Now one that came out before the Apocalypse Now Redux was issued that had all this extra footage. I remember uh, there was a cut of Alien Three, which had a bunch of extra scenes, and and some of it was atrocious. You would watch it, and there would be like you know grease mark pencil <laughs> on it and stuff, and like fade in stuff that. So it was a little hard to watch it because it didn't look as nice as the rest of the stuff. But seeing it was kind of like a, I don't know, it was like a little mini film school for me. Like I would watch the stuff and I would I would try to figure out why it was cut and, and, you know. And and then in some cases you have directors who have released both and you get to see. And, and for me, the Aliens Director's Edition, the longer one, is way more fun. You know, you get the sentry guns, you get all that stuff, and it's, it's, it's a lot more fun. So I love the idea of you know, for me, the, the comic books would be sort of a chance to do, like, I mean, it's not the director's cut, because I didn't get to direct the movie, but it would be almost like the writer's cut, where I can go back and put in all these scenes and kind of do, you know, do the the version of Samaritan that didn't exist, you know, that was the sort of the original conception of it. And you can see all the connective tissue, you can see all the stuff and how it evolved, but that it would be a longer, uh, you know, maybe, maybe not as... Um, streamlined or edited or you know not a succinct aversion um, but there's some fun in that warts and all you just get to see all you know everything
0: nice yeah. yeah that's cool yeah i was thinking about the alien three they call it the assembly cut right um, oh yeah or somebody yeah. somebody kind of tried to make the right. fincher's director's cut <laughs> i've heard it's a it makes more sense than than the actual theatrical one but yeah, i haven't it seen it so right.
1: i remember liking it better too
0: so just, I, I want to make sure that with the, that we know, um, like when Colin went and looked for this originally, he found there's two comics available from mythos comics. Right? right. Um, and, and ordered those. And right now, all I've seen on their Facebook page, unfortunately their website is under development. Um, so when they get that,
1: it's been under development for years. We're, we're sort of a <laughs> pants like mythos is really <laughs> myself and my buddy Lewis Fenton And, uh, we, we, we gotcha. do these comics, we find artists we like, we, we have a table every year at Comic-Con, and we, the plan was really like uh, to, to have a really slow-burn business model that maybe in 10 years or 15 or 20 years, it's actually a real comic book company. And so we started out producing one issue every six months, and it just – Lewis is very tenacious, and he doesn't give up, and he's kept this thing alive. And so now we actually have a number of issues. You know, our table is starting to look pretty legit at Comic-Con. We have like, we have like four different comics in yes. <laughs> the works. One got optioned by you know people think it got optioned by MGM, but really the truth is they didn't know about the comics. They bought the script and then they found out about the comic. But mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, it's so the comic book company the website was designed I think for us first time around like 15 years ago. It looked great when it first came out, but that quickly became obsolete and we didn't update it. So the website is is sort of non-existent. So people find us on our Facebook page and that's really it. They go on the Facebook page and um, if you're at San Diego, we're also for the first time starting to distribute. This is all Lewis's hard work, so I'm not taking any credit for it. But he, like I said, he's a pretty tenacious guy, and he got us dis- distribution through the big comic book distributor. It's a company called Diamond, and once you get your stuff into Diamond, it, you know, opens up quite a bit, and you get because that goes out to every comic book shop in the country pretty much. And there's a long uh, sort of wait list to get in with Diamond, and you have to have enough comics to sort of prove that you're not. You know, a lot of people put out one issue and then they go under. They they can't finish it. So there's a lot of people who try to launch comic book companies. And I think Diamond has been burned over the years by letting people in, and they put, they put their comic out, and then there's never mm-hmm. an issue. Mm-hmm. So they wait until you get to until you have at least three or four different series at a certain issue number, and then so we're in Diamond now. We, we had our comics up on Comicsology, although we had to take down Samaritan when the MGM deal closed. Um, okay,
0: see, I was going to ask that if there was any digital. Uh, it
1: was, yeah. a version
0: of this okay
2: so with the with the movie being on amazon and the and the comics kind of being in limbo for the for the people that are going to listen to this and be excited about samaritan what what can our listeners and what can we do to help promote getting you know samaritan 2 or the full comic run done
1: oh thank you uh, i guess the biggest thing would be um you know i mean on on Gosh, if they like the comics, uh, if they if they like the comics, to go on Twitter and you know t- t- tweet at MGM or something, or say like, hey, can we get this as a comic? Is this going to continue? You know, watch the movie and voice your support. You know, I, I know it's you know it's it's asking a lot, but if you want more, I think that's what it's going to take. It's going to take a lot of people uh, asking for it and directing their questions at MGM and Amazon. I mean, Amazon owns MGM now, so I, <laughs> I wouldn't even know where to. But the you know the but. Samaritan has a little Twitter thing going on. And I think if people really like it, they want more chime in there. And, 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 you know, if we can get this little deal worked out with MGM and we get the comics going, um, and we can get more issues out there and, and people start buying it and liking it, then, you know, maybe all this continues. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, we're, I'm sort of, I'm sort of curious to find out myself, like how well did Samaritan do for, for Amazon? And is there any interest in a sequel? And I, I I haven't heard anything yet, but I know that, uh, Amazon seemed very happy with it. Um, so who knows?
0: Yeah. It's, um, like I was talking about earlier about kind of reproducing comic, uh, pages, right. right. There is in the movie, there's the, the scene where he looks across the courtyard and sees, sees him take his shirt off and mm-hmm. sees the yeah. burns on his back. That's right out of the, out the yeah, place. and,
1: and the, POV through the binoculars when he's, when he's spying on him, like that came the director, uh, Julius Avery had asked to see the comics. And so I sent him the first two issues. Um, I never actually met Avery myself. I wasn't on set for any of that. He, he, uh, he, 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 you know, did it all. But I went, after I sent him the comics, I, I saw those shots and I sort of saw them. I was like, yeah, that's, that's right.
2: <laughs> yeah. I love the fact that, that several parts of the movie looked like they're almost rotoscoped as a nod to the comic origin yeah. or, oh, yeah. or not origin, right. but that visual part of the story of the comic.
1: The story, yeah, like that visual yeah. feel, I guess. Yeah, I, I didn't have any of that beginning stuff in my script. I thought about it, but I but I was also very worried that that would people would see the twist coming, that it would telegraph the, the twist too much. Um, mm-hmm. and in the movie, they they for a long time they I don't think they had that either. I think that, that was a later addition. And then finally, that thing got added. And I remember I remember you know feeling a little conflicted. Like on the one hand, I think they did it pretty well, and and I like the idea that it it feels a little rotoscopes because it's kind of from the point of view of a kid, like it's, it's Sam's story. And so there's a subjective kind of like, you know, it's sort of a fun conceit. Um, but I, but I do, I do worry that, you know, some people, I think when they see that they probably figure out right away where it's going. That's the danger. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you yeah. guys me, did you, did you guys kind of guess like for
0: a hundred percent. I did. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I mean that's kind of i am always kind of looking for twists and so so early on I mean it wasn't until the first the the scene where uh Joe comes to his rescue and you can see the anger on his face and, and I thought oh okay i <laughs> I know what's going on here gotcha, right. um but yeah i and i think I think now that you mentioned it, that's interesting to hear you say that like having that that intro to it probably planted that seed that then I picked up on there
1: oh I think mm-hmm. it's a very it's a very risky, dangerous thing to put in there because as soon as you, as soon as you start a story with you know, basically some version of there were two brothers, we both died in a fire, but some believe <laughs> one of them is alive. You know, the, anyone who's, who's looking for a twist is going to say, two brothers, right, and they both supposedly died in a fire and one of them lived and everyone thinks it's this one? Okay, I see what you're yeah. doing. You know, yeah. and, and if you don't do that, I don't, if you don't raise the question, I don't think people will go there. And so I think it's much safer to just talk about how there was a hero who died 20 years ago and everyone loved him and the city's gone to hell. And, you know, some people, you know, hope for that hero to come back. And he's sort of like the modern day superhero equivalent of Elvis, you know, that some people think he didn't die. And you just talk about (laughs) the hero. And then you let the story begin. And then at some point in the first act, you start to drop hints on how he died. You mentioned this other guy, Nemesis, who died in the fire too. And, you know, but if you space that out it you can fly it under the radar a little, I think, in a way that people won't won't guess it. So that was what I was going for in the first draft. In the second, mm-hmm. later drafts, they got a little uh gutsier and they decided to, yeah, we're gonna you know, we're gonna, we're gonna throw this all out in the very first scene up front, and nobody's gonna you know, nobody's gonna notice a
2: little too bold
1: <laughs> yeah, a little too for that nowadays. I think they'll they'll, they'll guess, but I, 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 can, I don't know, I think a lot of people. I I think, I think a lot of people still didn't expect it. So at least some, you know, we managed to fool some people, but I mean, I don't know. You'd have to, you'd have to really ask around and say how many people got it. How many people anticipated it and how many didn't, I have no idea really. I just know I saw some people on my Twitter thing saying like, you know, good twist or didn't see it coming. Then I saw a bunch that were like, yeah, I saw it right away. (laughs) I I did better next time. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's really, you know, I, we haven't said it before, you know, congratulations on the whole thing. I mean, getting Balboa Productions, I think that's what, what Stallone's company is called uh, yeah. behind this, is really, really cool. And I think it's interesting, too, that, uh, you know, Stallone, he was in a uh, an MCU movie. He was in the Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Right. But then he's been in the two other, you know, two separate comic book-ish things. You know, he was Judge Dredd. Right, Judge and then Reed, yeah. and then in Samaritan, I think that's interesting how many kind of comic uh origins he has so that's kind of cool
2: although i think he was just looking for a great story
0: yeah you know to to
2: play the part of joe smith kaminsky whoever you want to call him um Mm -hmm.
0: and and to to go through that process Mm -hmm. well yeah it's 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 not a not super hard for him at this stage in his career to play the grumpy old guy right (laughs) yeah like (laughs) Eastwood. yeah yeah
1: Yeah, it's like it's like there's a whole almost subgenre of these kinds of movies you know where it's Gran Torino or Finding Forrester or, you know, that it's like the actors get to a certain point. They're going to play the grumpy old guy. who has like, right. some <laughs> but, no, you the Stallone, I mean, he, it's funny to me that he took this because, um, I, I, I never really thought about it much beforehand, but, but when I, when, so when he originally got his hands on the script, his producer, Braden Aftergood had been looking for a project for him. And according to Braden, the story that I got was, uh, cause Braden called me, I knew him a bit and Braden said, Hey, we love to take you out to breakfast and you know ask you about uh, Samaritan. And I was like, Oh, cool. Okay, what's up? So we went to breakfast, and he said, I'm working for Stallone now, and he's looking for something. And he 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 had me uh, trying to find the right script. And he was looking for he put it like equal part, one part heart, uh, muscle, and in a popular genre. And so he said, So I found. So I I, I was having lunch with his company, and I asked. I said, well, Stallone wants to do something that's a mixture of heart, muscle, and in a popular genre. And and I asked the guy, and I said, Yeah, I don't have that anymore, but I used to have it. It's a script called Samaritan that we had optioned, and and the option has lapsed. I don't control it anymore, but I give you a copy of it. So he gave them a copy of Samaritan, and um, they read it and liked it and wanted to do it. But the funny thing is that Stallone, his whole I feel like his whole career and his whole a big part of his mystique is that he he plays a character who doesn't have superpower. He plays a character who can physically like everyone you know. A lot of gym rats they aspire to you know Stallone or Schwarzenegger or you know what because they know that's like these guys are hero, they're superheroes in real life. Like they've they got the muscle, they've got, the, and they play characters like Rocky. And so I feel like Stallone's. Uh, I think it's an interesting jump for him to actually jump to superpowers, and I think it was challenging for him too because I remember in some of our story uh, uh, sessions, you know, there were directors who wanted to direct Samaritan, who pitched all kinds of ideas, and they wanted to add superpowers, and Stallone was very protective against that. In that case, I think it was exactly the right decision because he felt that that. And I think he even said this flat out in one of our meetings. And he said, like, no, you know, the superpower should be as grounded as possible. He's stronger. He, he can take more of a beating. But basically, it's – it's. He, he said something about how – he told a story about when he was a little kid at a dance or something. And there was another boy who walked in who had, you know, who had muscles. And I forget the exact setup of the story. But he said he walked in. And he's like – and I saw everybody looking at this kid. And I saw the girls looking at him. And I, I saw him. And I realized – I can do that. Like, that's something that I can do even more. And so he started working out and getting buff, and, and, and really it became a lifelong thing for him and the boxing and all that. And so I guess this is a long-winded way of saying that I think it's interesting for Stallone to take on a superhero thing with actual powers when that's a big step for him because his whole his whole career and his whole history has been basically doing things that you can in the limits of reality, like pushing it. You know what I mean? Like 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 mm-hmm. everything – did comes from discipline, hard work, and it's appealing to us because we know if we had that discipline, that drive, we could do that too. He sort of shows us what's possible and right. a-
2: attainable. Yeah,
1: <laughs> Samaritan is not possible. He's jumping to the other side of the aisle there. And so I think the hero you get when he does that is you're going to get the most grounded version of that possible. So you know he's not flying around. He doesn't wear you know a superhero outfit. I mean, in the flashbacks he does, but it's not. You don't see his face in it. So the, 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 what you see him at is sort of like. You know, like, like um, Bruce Willis's character in Unbreakable, it's the most grounded kind of version of that. So it's fun to see.
0: Yeah, yeah. Actually, that's one thing that I really appreciated about the movie is there's a lot of a lot of comic book movies out these days, and a lot of them are just sort of CGI nonsense. And, and, mm-hmm. uh, right. and this, I like that. You know, there's obviously some special effects in there, um, but it's basically just a, a really strong guy who can take a, a good beating mm-hmm. um, and, and get uh, run over by a taxi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I thought that was oh, a great was way a, to
2: introduce his weakness, by the way. Right. This whole idea that, you know, you, you can do those things, but there is a cost you have to pay in the end. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Although, Universal Soldier. U- Universal Soldier. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Although, I wouldn't necessarily call eating lots of ice cream a, a cost. But. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, that was another one that I'll give credit to. Zach Pan, I think, came up with that. He did rewrites. and um,
0: oh, nice. Yeah,
1: he was the coolest guy. He was like, he called me. Out of the blue, didn't have to, called me out of the blue, said he was doing rewrites and that he was not going to want credit. He wasn't going to try to take credit. He didn't do anything. He was just a fan of the script and he was going to try to add some stuff. And he pitched me what he was going to add. He didn't have to, but he just pitched me what he was going to add. And it was the idea that, that, again, in trying to ground it, he said, well, look, if your body could really do these things, you would have to consume an insane amount of calories. You would have to, your body would be shedding so much heat that, like, there'd be a danger of sort of frying out. And so he, he came up with the whole thing of like the ice cream and the, and, cool. the <laughs> and all that. And I, and I thought of it and when he pitched me, I, I sort of smiled and I was like, okay, all right, you're taking this to the, you're, you're taking the logic all the way. Like, okay, if this is possible. This is what would happen. And I was like, that's great. Go, you know, that's great. Thanks for running it by me. Go for it. And he, he wrote it and all that stuff is totally exact. Thing.
0: It's really interesting getting, getting a view from behind the scenes about, you know, how all this comes together and what mm-hmm. the intricacies of, uh, are of like you talked about earlier about, well, look, if you're not going to write this and we'll get somebody else to write it. And that puts your, uh, you know, the sole credit uh, on the line. And, and, and the fact that it's, it's really cool that somebody just wants to come in and, and kind of, you know, add a little bit of flavor, but not, not uh, take any credit, just to work on the project. That's, that's cool.
1: Yeah. He was very classy. Um, I, I keep having this, 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 the same sort of misgivings about screenwritings, which is that, you know, it always change. It always, changed, it always it, it gets twisted and changed a million different ways, and there's a million cooks in the kitchen. And so I keep sort of wanting, at some point, to try to direct something myself. I tried it with, with uh, *Samaritan*, and uh, Stallone was, was gracious enough to like hear me out. And he, you know, he met with me, and I said, and I think I said, if you let me direct it, you can have it for a dollar. You know, like I don't care. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got three kids, and I, it's going to be it's going to be expensive. And he sort of laughed and he said, you should, you should, you should stick it to him. He made some joke about it, and they uh, <laughs> And they did what they wanted with it and um, but I remember I remember that choices it's always tough you know because you have your perspective and you're you're writing you know when you're hired as a screenwriter they're basically hiring your instincts you know they're hiring you know how well you can execute them but they're hiring your instincts too and so there's a lot of times when you know certain story things they might bump against my sensibilities and uh, I mean for for like you know on season the witch you know that script, that uh, got me my career. It had won a competition called the Nickel Fellowships, which is a big screenwriting competition that like a lot of would-be writers submit to. And so I remember being really proud of that script. And, and you know, then it, then seeing it sort of be uh, developed over close to a decade, and different directors coming on board with different ideas, and some of those ideas remaining from one to it. It's a process. And uh, I mean, Demeter, I have a script that's just in post now with Amblin, and Amblin uh, finally produced it, and Andre Overdall's is directing it. That's been around for twenty years, twenty-five years, with five or six different directors on board, six different writers. It's just a crazy collaborative process with a million. I mean, it's kind of crazy.
0: That's nuts! Wow, <laughs> twenty years. It's hard. That's wild. Yeah, I, I mean, that does bring it's up the nuts. question of like any any other anything you're working on now that you want to you know, plug or you know give give a preview on that you're allowed to talk about, obviously.
1: Well, Demeter is in the can. I haven't seen a single frame, but the director is very cool and sent me some behind the scenes photos, and it looked very exciting. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the, it's called The Last Voyage of Demeter, and it's uh, directed by Andre Overdahl. Um, production company is Amblin, and it comes out next year. And I'm very excited about that. Cool. Uh, I'm doing a project for, which is an adaptation too, actually. It's an adaptation of a, of a uh, graphic novel called Spread which is a very violent kind of post apocalyptic sort of it's basically like if the thing got out of the Arctic Circle, made it back to the mainland and started to infect everything. And then our story takes place nice. in this in this in the spreadlands ten years later. That's kind of a ballpark idea. But it's a graphic novel that I really liked and that is at Amazon. And I just turned in the pilot episode and we're waiting to see if uh, you know, we're in that in that sort of limbo where we're waiting to see if they're gonna proceed with it or not. But that would be an animated 10-part uh, series, so that's coming out, and I have a thing uh, with uh, Channing Tatum, weirdly. I have a thing with Channing Tatum, who's also a, a you know, producer and director now, and his, his career is going in all kinds of amazing, cool ways. Oh, wow. We have a, a fantasy book series that we were both big fans of, and I had been chasing it, and unbeknownst to me, he was also chasing it, and he got the rights before I could, and so I just reached out to him and was like, hey, do you have a writer on this? I'm a big fan of The Monster Blood Tattoo. And he said, oh, you love it? Isn't it great? And I said, yeah. And so I, I kind of told you want to take on it. I sat down with him and I pitched. It's the only the pilot episode. And it was great. He got so excited. He's like jumping on the couch. Going, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I got it. And he said, you got it. So I went and wrote that. And we're now trying to set that up. And he's trying to put a director on it and get that going. But it's a wonderful book series by an Australian author. And it's a really sweet story about a kid who dreams of being a monster hunter. Because monster hunters are kind of like the rock stars of this fantasy world. Everybody knows the Brandon Rose and the Gray, you know, whatever. They're, they're like these huge personalities, and everybody loves them. And uh, he dreams of being a monster hunter. And through a series of uh, strange circumstances, in the first episode, he gets to be her assistant. And then things begin to happen. He starts to weird powers start to come up in him, and he starts to become more and more afraid of the fact that he may be part of monster himself. And now he's working for the most lethal monster hunter. And so it's like, what's he going to do when she finds out? Um, and they have a very interesting friendship. So I thought it was a wonderful book, and Netflix was uh, circling it for a while, and um, who, who knows where it'll land. But I think that's one I'm very excited about, too. That's called Monster Blood Tattoo.
0: Nice. Well, Colin, Colin's our uh, resident fantasy series uh, reader, right? So. Yeah.
2: When you said, <laughs> you know, a beloved fantasy series, I, was, I thought you'd say Ted Williams. Memory and no. Sorrow and Thorn series, but that's that was a while ago. <laughs>
1: this, this is uh, it's not it's not huge in the U.S., but it's done very. It was big in Australia, and I think it will be at some point here. It's it's really wonderful. Every chapter in the book is written with. There's an interesting kind of structure where they the chapter has a word at the top of it. It'll say like factotum. Factotum is an assistant to a monster hunter. Often there and you will get the definition, and it's a made up word. And uh, as you read the book, each chapter gets a new word. So by the end of the book, it's almost like if somebody tried to read the last chapter, they wouldn't be able to make sense of it because you're using a completely made up language by that point. But you read it as you go along, you get the gist of the words. So it's a, it's a fun book. And this guy just came up with this world that's incredible. Um so I'm I'm surprised it hasn't caught on bigger here yet. It, you know that it's not a, a more popular book here. But Channing had read it on the set. I guess when he has, when he's on sets, he has a lot of downtime, and he sits there and he's reading books or listening to, at you know, audio books and stuff. And that was one that really stood out to him. And I I'm not surprised it's fun.
2: Very cool. Hey, we'll have to check it out. Yeah, I love a good read.
1: Yep. Yeah, I mean, It's available on Amazon. So if you if you track it down and like it, shoot me an email. Let me know what you think.
0: Yeah, I will. Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, I think we're about out of questions. Any any uh, final thoughts, guys? Final questions?
2: No. Uh, yeah, I would like to see more of this. It was a great story. I, I love the whole redemption aspect to the story. Thank you, um, man. yeah, really enjoyed it.
1: Thanks. That's a theme that I, that's always been appealing to me, and I I don't know, I come back to it again and again. Sometimes I feel bad that I don't, you know, my my brain doesn't go to like a million different ideas, but yeah, I have always liked redemption stories. You know, I, I mean, shame. Mm-hmm. And and uh, even though I don't know what Shane was redeeming himself for, because he seemed to be a pretty good guy, but he clearly had a lot of demons. So those kinds of things are always always fun to me.
0: Well, awesome. Uh, I think we'll wrap it up there. So if people want to get a hold of you or you know follow you on social media, where can they find you?
1: Uh, I'm on Twitter. I, I think it's uh, Braggy Shoot Jr. Um, and on uh, Facebook, we have... Facebook is where Mythos is most active. Um, so the Mythos Comics uh, page on Facebook, and you can always find us there and and if you want to check out any of our other comics um that's a good place we have a sci-fi thing called deep blue we have a vampires running a casino in vegas thing that's really fun called Vamp. uh oh. and <laughs> all of that is on our on our facebook post if you're ever down at san diego comic-con come by our table we're usually in the small press area um uh, that's about it
0: cool Cool. All right. I just realized that I think I called you Bragi right off the top. So apologies. Uh, I hate getting people's names wrong.
1: Yeah, All my old school friends from New York call me Bragi, so you're fine. Oh,
0: okay. okay. Yeah, I suppose they would. So, well, Bragi, thank you for joining us.
1: Really yeah, thanks it. very much. It was yeah. really
2: awesome to hear your story and uh, evolution and so everything. That's super cool.